Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. We're getting more and more information in as uh, we hear of uh, approximately 100 new cases uh, today, uh, 688 active cases uh, in Ontario at this point. Half of the cases in Canada right now, they say, can be attributed to community spread. This is picking it up from each other as opposed to flying somewhere and some sort of international destination. Uh, with the pandemic growing, how is this going to impact hospitals and spreads across major cities like Hamilton, Toronto, Ottawa, and such? Let's bring in Dion Ailman, Associate Professor, Department of Mechanical and Industrial Engineering, Faculty of Applied Science and Engineering Director. Medical Operations Research Lab at University of Toronto and with us now. Dion, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. Uh, we've certainly seen uh, uh, different results and in different ways in which different cities have handled uh, this COVID-19 outbreak. Italy and Taiwan's first cases came only a few days, 10 days, I guess, apart. Yet Italy now has uh, the highest numbers in the world. Taiwan, just over 200 cases and a couple of deaths. Why do you think such a spread? Why, why such a, a drastic spread in Italy? Could they have done something differently? Uh, what are your thoughts on the differences here? Uh, yes, absolutely. Italy could have done a lot of things differently. And, and in fact, I'm sure most countries will look back on this COVID-19 experience and, and think about all the things that they could have done differently and all the measures that could have been enacted earlier in order to uh, mitigate the, uh, the impact of this pandemic on our uh, citizens. Um, Taiwan in particular has done um, a really excellent job of um, identifying individuals that are likely to have been exposed to COVID-19 by linking their um, travel um, records and uh, immigration status uh, coming and going through the country, uh, where countries they've been to, to their medical health records, and identifying people as they arrive into the country uh, who should be quarantined um, just to make sure that they don't have COVID-19. Or if they do, well, they're, they're in quarantine, so, uh, so they can um, be managed appropriately. And they've leveraged a lot of um, um, just data uh, by, again, linking health records to travel records, but also they've been using people's uh, cell phones to triangulate where they are and ensure that people are actually adhering to the quarantines that, uh, that they've been mandated to follow. Wow, so, uh, that's, so that's fascinating. Really piece of technology, yeah. Um, so what do you, you know, think might, of uh, how time, you know, might what do you think of how, a little bit on, the, on the privacy sense, but it certainly is appropriate here. So how, what do you think of how Taiwan has handled this situation? And again, maybe go into a little bit more greater detail of the personal privacy that perhaps was given up here. They're basically following you on your phone, correct? Uh, that's correct. And uh, this is, um, uh, from what I've read, um, a capability that Taiwan has had for some time, although they mainly use it uh, in the uh, criminal justice uh, area for enforcing, um, you know, stay-at-home um, orders or house arrests, uh, but they've expanded it to uh, to apply to quarantines. And, you know, from from a public health perspective, it's fantastic because, as we've seen here in Canada, um, that you know you can ask people to stay home, but a sizable minority of people will not really obey that and will still go to uh, parks and congregate or uh, restaurants if they're still open. Um, and not obey that social distancing uh, measures, even if they are at an increased risk of having the disease or having something uh, or having a very bad reaction to the di- to the disease that they get it. Whereas Taiwan has put this enforcement in place, and they'll call you uh, in Taiwan multiple times a day to make sure that you are in fact with your phone, 
that you didn't just leave mm. your phone at home and uh, go out on your own. And if your phone wow. dies, they actually um, will send police to your house um, to make sure that you are still there and uh, you're okay. Um, and um, from a public health perspective, really, this is an excellent approach. Um, but it's not excellent uh, in all regards because then you certainly have to wonder about how this system might be uh, used or abused um, in the future mm. uh, with regards to people's privacy. Might they you know, use this to track people who are, say, political distance or something else? Um, those are certainly important questions to ask. Um, but if the government um, can be trusted to use these sorts of tools in only a, a benign fashion that actually helps the population, uh, then I think that these tools are incredibly effective. Uh, obviously, they're working. We've seen the results of that. How do you think this would fly in Canada? Do you think Canadians would like uh, being told by their phone and government what to do? What, what, how do you think this would fly here? Uh, I don't think it would fly at all. <laughs> um, you know, people. I think most people know that they should stay home, um, but uh, it's one thing being asked to stay home. Uh, it's another thing being mandated, mandated to stay home. And if police you know, see you out and about, they might stop and ask you where you're going. And it's another thing for the government to literally be tracking your physical location. Um, I think a lot of people would be quite uncomfortable with that. And I myself, um, despite um, my, my praise of such a system for use in um, pandemic control, uh, would not be comfortable with my own phone uh, being tracked because, again, it starts to become a slippery slope of can you always trust this government and future governments to to use that information with only the good of the population at heart and and I think right now um, probably a lot of us would not feel comfortable um, in most countries with the government really actually using that that information always and exclusively for the benefit of individual citizens. A lot of the same questions we're asking ourselves in regard to letting Huawei run the 5G network in North America. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, do you think this information should be shared from country to country? I guess if, if a host country isn't doing it, then they're not going to share the information. But, boy, you could certainly see the advantage if it was shared country to country. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that this information, and really a lot of uh, medical and health information, is not governed by borders, right? People move from border to border. I mean, a border is really just an abstract concept, and, uh, and it shouldn't define how we approach medical situations, how we approach public health situations, um, especially with something as global as a pandemic and as fast-moving as this pan pandemic is in particular. Uh, what we need more than anything is, is data and information, as detailed information as we can get about how this disease is moving from one individual to another, um, are certain groups more susceptible to catching the disease? Um, can we drill down and, and identify higher risk groups for who might have severe uh, reactions to being infected with the disease? Like, yes, we know people who are elderly uh, have a higher fatality rate, but what about people who might end up being on a ventilator? Um, is it just the elderly that are at an elevated rate, or is it some combination of uh, comorbidities that the patient might have? Uh, for example, we're seeing that um, having asthma and diabetes um, can lead a person to have a much stronger, um, poor reaction to uh, to being exposed to COVID-19. You know, how can we really drill down into this data and better understand what is happening, and therefore better devise? Um, mitigation strategies and social distancing strategies, as well as healthcare interventions 
um, that can best help people, especially in a situation where we have limited resources like limited ventilators, limited ICU beds, limited doctors and nurses, really limited everything. All right, our, our healthcare system has been um, continually asked to run as lean as possible on the smallest budget possible, uh, which then means we don't have a lot of extra capacity when something major uh, like this event happens. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, how will we know in Canada whether what we're doing is working or not? Uh, how, how concerned are you about the coming days and weeks? When do we know if our social distancing is effective? And, and you know, if, if it goes sideways, if we see sharp increases, uh, will we see people's attitudes about what they're doing in Taiwan change? Well, in terms of uh, when will we know if what we're doing right now is effective, uh, it'll take at least two to three weeks before um, before we see any changes in the curve, assuming the changes in the curve, uh, the, that curve of uh, number of infections changes. And that's just because the infections that we're seeing right now are people who were exposed um, prior to uh, to the social distancing measures and are just now starting to become symptomatic and starting to be measured and get tested. And, uh, and we find out that they do, in fact, have COVID-19. So I'd say it would be another probably week or two before we can uh, start to see the effects of social distancing. And then we'll probably, you know, need really like another week or two beyond that to make sure that reductions in um, the number of new cases is actually decreasing and it's not just a, a random fluctuation. Uh, but if things do still continue to grow and seem like they're growing exponentially, like sort of out of control, uh, as it seems right now, then, yes, I, I really hope that people will start to um, pay a lot more attention to the government's um, so far um, polite requests to to stay at home and, and that maybe we might start to see some more um, mandated um, stay-at-home orders that are enforced by by police with with some sort of penalty in order to make sure people are are really doing their best uh to stay at home unless they absolutely essentially need to leave their houses whether or not we would ever get uh, to a situation where the population would agree to have their cell phones tracked um i mean i'm sure that at some point there there would be that 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 tipping point but um i certainly hope that um we don't end up in a situation with COVID 19 where the spread is so severe that uh that that sort of measure uh, would be widely accepted by the population just because it would really take a, a very severe, um, uh, I guess, rate of deaths, uh, I think, before people would be willing to, to give that up, give up their personal privacy. Uh, we, we've certainly seen how various countries have handled this, some good, some some bad, frankly, and, and, and the results of actions or lack of action. Uh, you, you, we talked about Taiwan and how they are using personal devices in order to keep track of people's movement, where they've gone, where they're going, where they've been. We certainly know of uh, of the mass quarantines that China uh, has used in order to to flatten their curve, so to speak. Uh, what can we take from there, from from these countries, and learn within a Canadian system? What is the balance for Canada here? What should we be emulating? Well, I'm not. I'm not necessarily sure that um, that we should be exactly trying to emulate um, Taiwan's um, cell phone surveillance approach or China's um, literally bored people in their houses approach. But what we should take from that is that those measures were effective. 
Um, they were very effective in Taiwan. Of course, in China, the disease had already really taken hold and started to spread a lot before those measures went into place, which is why their their um, pandemic curves were, were so sharp. But ultimately, those measures were effective. Now, if we as Canadians can just uh, accept that um, staying at home is effective and really is the single most effective way of mitigating the spread of disease, and if we can all just choose to stay home, and uh, choose to only leave our houses when it's really essential, um, then I think that we'll be in a good place as far as managing this pandemic. But people have to understand that you know they need to make these sacrifices. They need to not be getting together with their friends to have parties in their houses. They need to not be gathering in the parks or treating this like an extended snow day because that's not what it is. Uh, we really need to uh, have that physical distance from one another. As we've seen in other countries, it's effective. And if we can all do that voluntarily, then we don't have to resort to more draconian enforcement measures. We're certainly getting lots of uh, email and text messages here uh, from people who are out on the front lines and concerned about their own health uh, and spreading this. Uh, any idea what should what should workers do uh, if coworkers or their employers are are ignoring these rules, these self isolation rules? We've certainly been given anecdotal examples of of situations where this has been going on and and these workers are fearful. What do you do if your coworkers or employer are, are ignoring these rules? Well, that's a tough situation because a lot of people are really dependent on their, their jobs and the income that they get from their jobs just to have food to feed their families and uh, money to, to have a roof over their head. And it's not really clear yet in um, Ontario, at least, whether um, there's going to be any significant relief that's provided in terms of rent or mortgage payments. Um, I know um, uh, Justin Trudeau uh, has announced um, a, a wide range of uh, sweeping um, economic um, support packages uh, to help people get through these times, um, but it's not yet clear how soon that money will come through. So people who are really dependent on you know paycheck to paycheck um, to keep their lives going, it's hard to just say no to your employer. If your employer is asking you to engage in unsafe activities, it's hard to just say no because you risk being fired. And uh, that is is a huge risk uh, for people's livelihoods. And a lot of people might say that that risk is far larger to them than the risk of catching COVID-19. And they may or may not be correct. Um, but ultimately, you know, we've seen that even young people uh, who catch COVID-19 um, are ending up in ICUs. Um, they are ending up on ventilators. Some are even dying. So you have to ask yourself, is it worth it to try to maintain this particular job and this income stream um, in comparison with um, a percentage chance that, you know, you might literally die if you keep working uh, as your, as your employer is asking you to, because you might catch COVID-19 from someone else at your workplace. And it's really a very delicate balancing act. And, and it's a really hard choice that frankly, people shouldn't have to make that choice. Uh, they shouldn't have to choose between their health in a public health crisis and uh, and their job. So if we want people to stay at home, if we want people to be safe, we have to make it possible for them to do so. We have to provide the incentives and uh, the financial security that people need to be able to stay away from unsafe um, jobs at this particular point in time. 
Uh, obviously, uh, you know where we are. You've seen where we are and where other countries around us are and those in other parts of the world. What is your greatest concern as we move forward with this? Uh, another 100 new cases in Ontario. Obviously, we haven't hit the peak yet, and, and many have predicted this will go up rapidly before we see it level out. We're not at the worst yet. What is your greatest concern as we move forward with this? Well, I, I think... Uh here in Canada and in Ontario, um, I think we've done a reasonable job of putting mitigation measures into place, asking people to stay home, closing down non-essential businesses, closing down schools and universities. And people are mostly uh, obeying the, uh, the request to stay home. So I do feel confident that, um, that we will be lessening the peak. Now, how, how flat we can, uh, we can you know, get that peak, like can we turn that big peak into a nice flat plateau? Um, that remains to be seen. I would say my biggest fear is that as soon as we start to see a flattening of the curve, that uh, the restrictions get lifted and then uh, they're lifted too soon. People are still um, infected and maybe don't realize it yet because they're asymptomatic or they just have mild symptoms that seems like a cold. And then the disease just takes off again and uh, all of our uh, previous attempts at social distancing were uh, for naught. And we have to go back to doing it all over again. But even more stringently. So I'd say my greatest fear is, uh, is uh, I guess, uh, taking our foot off the gas of social distancing too soon. Until we get to the point where we can test everyone, will this not have to continue? I mean, because, again, we're isolating everybody because we don't know who's infected, who isn't. Once we get tests for everybody, will this not be easier? Is that the answer here? Well, certainly if we could get tests for everybody, that would make things uh, really uh, almost transparently easy to manage. If we get everybody tested, we know who's infected regardless of what symptoms they might be showing or or contact history or their travel patterns. And then we can isolate and treat those individuals and uh, prevent the disease from spreading from those individuals any further. Uh, But it you know, we're short on tests, um, on testing kits, and uh, it's not clear how long it's going to take for us to get more kits. And then there, beca- then there becomes the logistics problem of actually getting everybody uh, tested. Um, you know, there are lots of, um, you know, uh, drive-through uh, testing centers um, across the world that have been created in, in large cities. And uh, we could certainly do something like that here. Although, of course, um, uh, I'm in Toronto. Um, you know, in Toronto, uh, especially downtown, a lot of people don't have a car in the first place. So getting all of them tested in a way that uh, keeps them socially distant from everyone else who's getting tested you know, based on not being protected by your car uh, will be a logistical challenge. But if we could do that, then that would really help us stem the tide of COVID-19. John Ailman has been with us, Faculty of Applied Science and Engineering, Director of Medical Operations Research Lab, University of Toronto. Dion, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Stay safe out there. Thank you. You too. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.